right. So welcome to the Indigenous Vision podcast. This is episode 33. We are two Indigenous women you know, showcasing and uh, sharing our reflections on life in today's world. My name is Melissa Spence. Hello, everybody. My name is Suta Callinglast, and we're joined today by Veronica Johnny. So good to have you here. Thank you, Suta. It's so good to be here. Nice to see you, Melissa. Likewise. Now, Veronica and I have a bit of a history. We go back from my Canadian radio days at a a radio station called NCI. I've seen you at various events. I've even done uh, backup singing for you in your band, The Johnnies. So I'm pretty familiar with who you are and what you've done and what you've accomplished over all these years in music. But why don't you give our listeners a little bit of insight on your journey as Veronica Johnny? Um, Sure, sure. Well, you know, uh, I started in the music industry in my in my mid 20s, I was actually became a musician very late in life, and really just wanted to kind of hang out with my friends around a campfire and be able to sing. And that's how I started. And uh, what happened was uh, I was working for the government up in Yellowknife and uh, got a layoff. And so I went back to school. And through that schooling, I ended up at Trebus in Vancouver and became an audio engineer and got their certificate program. And that really started my professional journey into the music industry uh, because I was just like playing, uh, you know, guitar for fun and doing open stages and different things like that. And it was only once I returned home and uh, started working as an audio engineer um, sponsored by the W Network, the Women's Television Network at the time, I started working as an audio engineer and uh, really got interested in, in, in pursuing music. And uh, it was at that time, uh, right around then, that Dave Johnny came to town. And uh, it's, a, it's a love story that Dave and I plan on telling through a documentary that we're working on, that we're working towards. Anyway, we're looking for funding right now for a rockumentary called The Johnnies, uh, you know, a love story. Um, and some uh, lots of fun rock and roll, lots of sex and lots of good stories, you know. So uh, Dave and I met in 2002. We started Johnny's in 2003. And we're, co- we're going to be coming up on the 20th year anniversary um, in 2023, which is when we're hoping to um, get a whole bunch of different things going for the Johnny's. And what else? What else did I do? So recently, uh, I, I also graduated from a music industry arts and performance uh, program. It's a three-year development program. But within all the times of uh, being a leather-clad, six-foot Cree woman screaming out lyrics, uh, uh, you know, on stage, I, I, uh, I have to say that it's my happy place, you know, being on stage with the Johnnies. And I, I remember that gig that we did. It was on live television, too. You remember that, M- Melissa? Yeah, it was crazy. It was live and it was like we rehearsed quickly that afternoon. And then it was like, OK, we're going to do this in a few hours live. And I was like so tense and I almost blacked out. Oh, no. Yeah, we had Tracy Bone and uh, and Kim Wheeler yes. as well. Uh, and the great thing was, was that the great thing about the backing vocals for a lot of the Johnnies is it is just, we're, it's, it's just group people singing along, it, you know? And so I, I, it was one of my highlights. Plus, you remember that gig? We even had pyrotechnics. Like I, I was singing like beside eight foot, like flames on either side. Right. <laughs> I could see why you would almost black out. <laughs> it was scary. It was scary for me. You know, like I can do the radio, but like all of that, like I, I don't think I can handle being a rock star. It's too much. 
You did great. You did great. It was so fun. I'm hoping that we can find some of that footage and and get it back out there online. It's it's so and maybe we'll do it again, girlfriend. I I would definitely do it again. Definitely would would do it again. I would love to see it. Yeah, well, that's what our music about. It's it's about um, having fun with friends. A lot of it. Uh, more recently, we're becoming more political in in our content. And uh, and Suta, I um, I know that you're also a climate activist, and and you're doing a lot. I don't know if you identify with that label, but I know that you do a lot of work regarding environment and Mother Earth. And so, like, yeah, on our latest album, Leathers and Feathers, we have several climate songs. One is called uh, Frog in a Pot you know, the, the chorus is going, it, it's getting hot, 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 hot. And it definitely is. We, we feel that right now it's getting hot. And so it's kind of like what we're, what we're trying to do with the Johnnies is create awareness while people uh, like through the art and, and sometimes people don't even know that they're like dancing along to like a climate change song, right? Climate crisis song, right? Um, and then another one that we have is called If the Man Don't Like It. <laughs> Too bad, <laughs> the chorus goes. Um, and uh, too little, too late. Again, it's like it seems like it's um, like it's too little, too late right now. You know, we've we've really got ourselves in in quite the predicament right now in terms of uh, humans on the planet. So a lot of that is like really important. You know, I'm also a water warrior. I have a tattoo right here that you can't really see right now, but. Um, that shows that I'm a water warrior. And so it's really important work for us, you know, and like in every form of my art that I'm trying to bring this awareness. And I am also the in- Indigenous advisor for both Music Declares Emergency Canada and Climate Live Canada, which are two global organizations that are concerned uh, with environment. And I'm, I'm lobbying to get at least one Indigenous uh, person on every um Every one of these climate action, uh, you know, groups and, and panels, as as much as possible. Like, uh, and and to me, I really believe a lot of the way we need to go forward is in the languages Cree, which uh, we say in, in Cree we call the Cree language Mehiawian. And uh, I believe that that a lot of uh, the way we need to go forward is in those languages. So it's it's I'm also trying to trying to learn the languages. My mother's first language, which which I was also uh, denied to speak, right, um, growing up. So so there's there's a lot of work to do, and uh, and I commend you both for you know bringing the awareness that you do through through your podcast here. Yeah, we really just take a an authentic, organic approach, and just I personally just pour my heart out. You know, I just say things that. <laughs> I've always wanted to say, but I always felt really constricted and uh, restricted by all my commercial mainstream um, platforms that I was, you know, blessed with. But I think I'm really where I'm supposed to be now. And that's why I wanted to invite you on the show, because I feel like you have like the same kind of spirit. You know, you're just you're just raw, Veronica, and I love it. This is me. This is this is what you get. (laughs) So amazing to hear about upcoming rockumentary. I love it. Funders out there who listen to us, please fund this. There is not enough Indigenous documentaries or documentaries at all. And it's one of the biggest ways that we can bust some stereotypes in being that Indigenous people are more than just drums and rattles. We say that on Ivy Music that we we have that and we include that and we honor it. But we're in all genres now yeah. today. And we're, we're kicking ass in those genres. And so... 
Ivy Music tries to highlight and promote some of those artists and drive people towards their their websites and social media handles. Um, but I want to go back to that frog uh, in the water song because I don't know if a lot of people understand that. Um, and I got it right away. And so in environmentalism, they say, uh, oh, you're don't be a frog in hot water. The water's warming up and they they make these references, but it's not often explained. And so if you stick a frog in hot boiling water, it'll react and jump out. The change is immediate. It responds. If you stick a frog in cold water and you turn the heat on low and slowly bring the water to a boil, the frog will stay in there not noticing a difference in temperature change and just be boiled to death. <laughs> so um, these frogs in water, I, I can't wait for that song to come out. Um, or it's, it's out. It's out. You can it? find it on Spotify. Absolutely. Go to Spotify. Go to the Johnny's. And if you even just uh, Google the Johnny's frog in a pot, um, you know, we're everywhere. The, the Leathers and Feathers came out in June of last year. And uh, we, we did a remix with Stevie Salas. He's one of the top 100 guitar players, maybe 50 guitar players, 10 guitar players in the world. He's indigenous. He's always had um, an interest in, in the Johnny's and, and Dave and I. And uh, so what he did is uh, he worked with us and he remixed the the first track on the album. And so we're, we're releasing a reprise. And so this new version of Leathers and Feathers is now climbing the Indigenous Music Countdown, which is syndicated to uh, many different radio stations, including this uh, satellite radio, Sirius XM. And so that's super exciting because anytime uh, we get any kind of chart play, it just um, brings so much more awareness of the band um, to the rest of the world. And so, yeah, uh, any, you know, I mean, if people want to look for us, we're at thejohnnies.com. We're at uh, the Johnny's rock on Instagram and the Johnny's official on Facebook. Um, we have, uh, we have a YouTube page, but it, you know, it's all in development. It's pretty much been Dave and I doing all of this. Like you, you said, I'm raw. Hey, Melissa. Well, it's, I'm totally do it yourself too. Like do it myself. Like mostly everything you see that's been done with the Johnny's has been Dave and I paid for by Dave and I very, we have been very lucky to get a couple of grants here and there. Um, but mostly like our, my, mine and Dave's, uh, you know, project and, and uh, we just love it. And I'm 52 this year. And uh, apparently in rock and roll, age doesn't matter, which is, which is good news for me and my gray hair. And, you know, Dave and I, were, we're heading back to Toronto for the, for, the, um, for the winter to get the band back on the road and get, get things uh, going, going again and do some videos at, on Six Nations and lots of really good things happening. Um, so, so I hope you tune in like, and check out, check out the Frog in the Pot, Frog in a Pot on Spotify or, or you know, wherever, wherever you want to stream music. Yeah, I'll definitely include it in our next playlist. We're working on a Indigenous punk rock. Well, every every show is Indigenous, but an, a punk show. But um, yeah, I love that you brought up the whole rock thing because you're like one of the few people that I've you know known over the years when I worked in Canada in Indigenous media that was like hardcore rock and roll punk rock. You know, there's so few of us out there. And as someone who's doing work in heavy metal and the really heavy underground scene, it's really really rare to have not just an Indigenous voice but a female Indigenous voice so how has that how has it been for you as an indigenous female to be like this towering beacon of like feminine power on stage over the years how have people received you well a lot of people say i'm a tall drink of water (laughs) (laughs) i've had i've had people say that i love that i love i love saying that and water Um, is life (laughs) yeah water 
Hi, baby. Um, you know, well, I, I, I'm such a social butterfly. I love people. I love being around people. And I love the, uh, the, you know, meeting new people and going places and traveling and checking out new things and, and making new friends. And um, the, the biggest thing for me uh, um, in my experience is uh, in my 20s, I fully identified as lesbian. In my later 20s, I came out as bisexual. And in my 30s, I realized I was actually pansexual. And I just uh, like and I and I realized it was two spirit. And to me, what that means is like I I fall in love with a person's spirit and not so much their body, like to their their body on the outside so much doesn't mean. Uh, and and I've really had the, uh, the the privilege of loving deeply two different people. One was a woman early in my 20s. And the second is my current uh, life partner, Dave Johnny. And so for me, um, being two spirit in, in, um, in the industry and I, and I identify as a woman, some people, uh, feel two spirit as a gender. And for me, I'm, I still am a woman. I still identify as a woman, but I also identify as queer and two spirit. So for me, um, all those, all the years that, um, I, I, I learned, I, I did a lot of learning in my twenties, identifying as a lesbian really helped me, um, really embrace my own masculinity. Um, it really helped me understand who I was as a person um, uh, and that it had nothing to do with who I loved. Um, I, I had to get over many things because I was um, discriminated against because I considered myself a lesbian at the time and a queer. And so I had to do a lot of learning. And um, what I realized is that I am the uh, creator of my own power. And so I um, realized that uh I was walking into a man's world as uh, so first of all, I was a computer tech. That's what got me to Yellowknife. I was a computer tech. So I was in a man's world there fully, uh, um, uh, you know, very few women in that, in that sense. And then I became an audio engineer again, very few women. And then I became a rock singer again, very few women. And my life just continued like this. And so for me, it was, uh, um, I didn't feel different anymore because it was just a norm for me. It was just like, yeah, these, these are just the people. They just happen to be men. The thing is, is like um, what I found really interesting is a lot of men, not a lot, let's say some men are very um, threatened by strong women. And so that's been, that's been the main thing for me is kind of trying to um, not let these people who are threatened by strong women and some of them are men, some of them are women, but to affect what's going on for me, what's going on inside for me. But I tell you, it's been a rough road. It's been a really rough road, uh, especially uh, because I've also do cultural stuff and have um, had the opportunity to work with young girls, you know, out, out in, uh, in nature and just these really beautiful um, retreats uh, through um, uh, Foxy, a beautiful organization up in Yellowknife who also work with uh, young, the young girls program is called Foxy, Fostering Open Expression Among Youth. And the boys program now is called Smash, Sexual Health and Masculinities or something like that. Anyway, they teach kids about... Um, about sexual health and healthy relationships, because, you know, all of, uh, you know, the pregnancy, teen pregnancy, uh, STIs, uh, all these different things are, are the highest in the Northwest Territories where that those programs exist. And so anyway, you know, I would come out of these beautiful, like incredible matriarchal, like, you know, just like the heaven retreats and come back to the normal world and just have culture shock because of, um, 
our world is so colonized. It's so uh, masculine dominated. There's so much um, misogyny, you know, just like worked into regular everyday things and stuff like that. And so, uh, so it's been rough, but you know what? I just, I just, okay. I was almost about to swear there, but I was like, I just put on my guitar and I turn there at 11 and I, you know, and it's like, that's how I deal with it is like, I literally put it back into the music. Wow. What a beautiful like way to express yourself. I kind of feel the same way. You know, I just get really loud, mm-hmm. <laughs> really yeah. loud and like a, a really uh, strong expression to kind of just combat, push back in a, in a, in my own personal way. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I identify that with a lot of that as well, because I both Melissa and I come from men dominated fields, the radio industry. And, and for me, um, I've always been like somebody's water girl, right? Like I'm a water resource or watershed manager. And so I've worked under hydrologists and engineers, civil engineers, the joke is that civil engineers are not so civil. And, and um, so I've been in situations, even as a water operator, female water operators kind of really don't exist. And and I was changing sewage lift station uh, motors. And, and there was a lot of assumptions there that I didn't want to, you know, do the dirty work, I, I couldn't do the heavy lifting, but it was an emergency situation. And I was doing yoga moves to get that motor in. And <laughs> it turns out there was a doll stuck in there. And I had to like, we had to dig it out. But this is a 150 pound motor. And all of the men I worked with had back problems. And I was like, Oh, this is the moment where either I get my own back problem, or um, we we fix it. And it's raining and the lift stations flooding, and we're able to drop that motor in there. And we couldn't like with the the two of us down there in that little tiny confined space, we couldn't get the motor in there and it's flooding and raining. And, and I ended up being able to pull myself up on some pipes and use this whole strength of my body pushing against the wall to move the motor in place to where we needed it to be where otherwise we would have needed some kind of ditch witch um, machinery to get this like hung up and then moved over. But I was doing yoga at the time and I was strong. And so, yeah, I was able to prove myself in this field of men, which uh, punk rock and and the shows I go to and just following all of that, most of it is men dominated. And and I know a lot of like very cool punk rock people are very aware of like feminine and masculine oppression. And so a lot of our songs are about that. Uh, excuse me, I don't dress punk rock, but I listen to a lot of it. But um, a lot of punk rock songs are about facing oppression and discrimination uh, and socioeconomic statuses uh, that we have to deal with as BIPOC people. So that's what it really draws me to the music is it's kind of the music is, even though I'm not playing it, it's like my release and I jump in my car and I turn up my punk rock song and it just gets the anger out of me because I can belt out those choruses as well and so thank you for being the creator of of good music (laughs) awesome absolutely and thank you for breaking through all of those uh preconceptions about uh you know women's strength and women's abilities and you know um how powerful we are not like i i was uh very um athletic as a young person um i'm paying for it now but uh 
but yeah, like I, I, I loved full contact sports as a, as a young person and, um, and absolutely I, um, you know, our bodies are all made the same. And uh, if a person's strong, they're strong. It doesn't have anything to do with gender. Wow, I like where this conversation's going. I like how you use music as a release. It really resonates with me. And I love that you have this rockumentary coming up with uh, Dave, Johnny, and then Suta and I were talking about how July is uh, BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month. Your relationship with Dave Johnny is just phenomenal. I mean, I remember we were at an event and we were at this, like, I guess it was like a reception before the event. And you guys were so like loving and close. And I thought, how do they do it? Like, how do they stay so loving year after year and all these, you know, and everything that's going on. So how do you maintain like a, a good, healthy psychological connection with someone? Like, what's your approach to that? Lots and lots of sex, drugs and rock and roll. Um, uh, well, the sex, yes, the drugs, mm, uh, and uh, the rock and roll, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a lot of kindness. It's a lot of um, uh, unconditional love. Dave was the first person to teach me unconditional love. And my, I, I, like, my family loves me, and, and I grew up knowing my mother loved me. And that was, a, that was more than many of us who have been raised by uh, residential school survivors and so even just being able to say that, like I was raised and I knew my mother loved me just, just, I want other, our listens, listeners to hear that, that many of us didn't have that. Many of us didn't have that. So, so I'm very privileged and grateful that I knew that my mother loved me growing up. Um, but my father wasn't able to tell me he loved me until I was in my thirties. And again, that's residential school um, trauma coming through. Dave was the first person to ever just love me. And anytime we'd have, we'd go through something. Uh, he'd always reassure me and go, you know what? Cause I, I was super hard on myself too. Anytime I like, you know, got angry or anything, just had feelings, you know, just anything at all. Um, I'd be so apologetic. And he would say, you know what? 95% of the time it's good, isn't it? And I'd be just crying. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's good. 95% of the time. You know? <laughs> and he'd be like, yeah. And this is the, five, the other 5%, he said, that's all. And it's going to pass. And then we'll be back to 95% of the time. And it's not just good. It's great. Right. And I'd be like, yeah, it's really great it's great you know and it's true and so so Dave helped me to uh oh and in those times um that was what I was going to say in those times he would he would say you know Veronica he said there's so many good things that you do and that you are and he's like but all that comes with all that other stuff that isn't so great too it's a whole package you you come with the whole package and so that helped me to do the same thing for him and this I love I love telling this one so this one time um, I asked Dave not to do something. This is, this is a story about Dave teaching me stuff. And, uh, and I asked Dave, please don't do that. And he went ahead and he did it anyway. He knew I didn't, I can't even remember what it was, but it was something. And I was just, I was just like so mad. And I'm just like, I'm just like, you knew I didn't want you to do it. And you did it anyway. And he said, yeah. And then this light bulb went off in my hand and I'm like, oh, that means like you might want, not want me to do something, but I can do it anyway. And you have to love me anyway. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> it's like beautiful realization that it's just like, um, you know, I respect my husband. So I'm going to ask him his, his opinion on stuff about my life, but my life is mine still, even though we're together and we, we plan to grow old together. Um, my, my decisions are my own. My life is my own. My work is my own. My thoughts are my own, all of it, you know, and I've taught Dave lots of really great things too. I can't share them here though. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
I I bet. I believe it. It's so amazing that you just really quickly laid out boundaries and I forgot the other one, but boundaries and communication. It's so critical to like healthy relationships and so. Yeah, I think our communication style was extremely severed with our with the whole residential school. You know, I was raised by two 60 scoop survivors, my parents, even though they've been together for 42 years, like I, they, they did have a different communication style that I'm like unlearning so that I can communicate better with my future partners. So it's really important to realize that what has happened to us as people has really trickled down and you got to like recognize when you're in like a, a, a pattern of intergenerational trauma and like see it for what it is and make the choice to do something different about it. That's what it was. That's the second thing was recognizing when you're in a codependent relationship or when you're codependent symptoms are coming out because codependency is a uh, product of trauma. And that's one that we all deal with is, is that abandonment, neglect, and, and then becoming codependent after that. And so that's such a beautiful example of the communication you guys have through breaking those um, trauma symptoms, essentially, that we carry as Indigenous people. So. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, Dave, Dave will do anything for me. So that really helps too in a long term relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell, like I said, whenever I would see you guys together, I'd be like, that's what I want. That's what I'm yeah. looking for, you know? Uh, Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm so lovey, touchy, huggy. Like, that's why, like, I never, I I'm constantly, my hands are always all over Dave, like all the time. And, um, now that, um, um, science is catching up with all this good stuff. Uh, they say that hugging someone for at least a minute a day, um, like it releases all kinds of good stuff and endorphins and whatever, one to four minutes or something. So every, every day I'm just, I just like, grab hold and I hug him for, for, for as long as possible. And I, and I realize again, that's such a privilege because uh, through COVID and stuff, there's, were so many people that were just such, uh, had to live such solitude lives. Totally. If it wasn't for my cats, I would probably be literally insane right now. Literally insane. Yeah. I love cats too. I love my cats too. Yeah. They're great little friends and healers. That's how I see them. I see them as, uh, as uh, little healers that come and, um, come and hang out and uh, when they're off sleeping they're off on some other plane doing some something out in the cosmos (laughs) you i've noticed that you you have like a really great balance of like the rock and roll and then the culture as well what's that relationship like for you obviously it looks amazing from the outside oh oh thank you well well um I was gifted my first hand drum in 2001 and I, I didn't feel like I was worthy of it because um, at that time uh, we were still, we still were kind of thinking in the old traditional ways of how uh, in that sense, like when I think of my great grandmother, Sophie, who was a drum carrier back in the early, in the early 1900s, um, she, uh, she was the only one in her community, right? So people went to her and asked her to play drum for them. And so when I was given my first drum, I was just like, oh, my God, I, I do not feel worthy of this. And I was given another drum. And again, I was like, oh, I don't I don't know. I don't feel worthy of this. And it was the it was when I was given my third drum that I was just like, 
okay, I guess this isn't my choice and I better <laughs> start learning about the drum, you know? And so that's, that's what I started to do and started, uh, you know, learning more traditions. And because, because uh, like I grew up in Southern Northwest Territories in Fort Smith area, um, which we called Dabacha, Den and Gay, um, and uh, in Northern um, Alberta. Um, and that's where my family is, Northern Saskatchewan, Northern Alberta, Southern NWT, that's kind of our territory. Yeah, so I started, you know, learning about ceremonies and going to drum circles and going to sweat lodge and just like really starting my healing journey and, and really trying to learn the traditions from pretty much any elder that would that would uh, teach me because um, the further west you go in Canada, I feel like um, the more, uh, especially um, when we're talking about uh, the, um, the the trade, the trade travel ways, the the you know the all the waterways, which is Fort Smith is on that waterway. You know, we were colonized really early, and with that colonization came uh, Christianity, and so there's a lot of Indigenous people in the west in in my territory that are still very, or not still, they are devout Christian. And have uh, heard so many what we call fear teachings around Indigenous culture and Indigenous heritage and, and our ceremonies that there's a lot of people in my territory that are afraid that are afraid of ceremony and that are afraid of medicine and are afraid of the drum and will not pick it up. And so it's made it a really difficult journey for myself. And then there's also the Dene who feel that women shouldn't drum and are very, uh, you'll find a lot of Orthodox type thinkers. Uh, in the Dene drumming uh, fields, who else will go like, you know, women shouldn't be drumming. Um, but now, now uh, we're, we're starting to learn more about drum, drum stories and, and origins of the drum. And, and, and we're starting to learn that it actually was uh, a woman's instrument and it did come to the woman. And it was only because of colonization and the lack of communicating with uh, female uh, people that um, the drum had to be given to um, the men just in order to keep it so anyway it's been like again it's been like really beautiful really healing and really difficult like like just as difficult as being a woman in the punk rock scene in like you know the rock scene in like as an audio engineer as a computer tech all of it like uh being a woman hand drummer you know like since 2001 um was when i started to really start forming my ideas around around drumming and then through my business, Indigenet, I started a business called Indigenet, Indigenous Education. It's, it's two words combined. And through that, I would work with nonprofits, Indigenous nonprofits, and put on retreats. And we started with women and doing matriarchal healing gatherings. Because again, uh, I was going home uh, to my home territory, and there were all these um, women, the elder women, weren't seeing themselves as elders. And I was like, well, I'm looking for an elder. And there were all these old, older women and none of them saw themselves as elders. And I saw that as a real issue. And so that's why we we created the matriarchal healing gatherings was basically so that our women, when they looked in the mirror, they would see an elder and they would see that that was their place and that we needed them to start talking about what the what their elders taught them and what those elders taught them, you know. So it was all through these, uh, these, these being able to be in these spaces and creating these healing spaces where we bring elders in and stuff that I've been able to do uh, a lot on my healing path, a lot of, of uh, remembering and relearning in, in um, you know, Cree culture, uh, Dine culture, uh, you know, Anishinaabe culture. That's, I'm in Anishinaabe territory here. The, the old word for that is Ojibwe, but uh, that's Anishinaabe. And that's where I live is Anishinaabe territory. 
um, here on Manitoulin Island. So I've been really lucky to, to learn a lot about, about that stuff. And so what I do now is through Indigened, I do uh, arts workshops and some of them are hand, some of them are drum circles for women or youth and different stuff like that. And so going out to all these ceremonies and stuff, you know, it's part of our, it's, it's within our protocols that we can't just like become a, the, like to me, it's just like, we can't just become, um, you know, someone who, who runs sweat lodge that has to be given to you. You have to be taught. You have to, you know, go through a whole series of like teachings before uh, you can just like become a sweat lodge conductor. Right. And so for me, I've just been learning as much as I can until these things happen where, uh, you know, in my later years, I can see that will probably be part of my trajectory is, is to run ceremony like that in the future. But until then, I just do what I call personal ceremony. And so I think this is what you're talking about with a little bit of that balance, Melissa, is like uh, on full moons, like I will have my own full moon ceremony and I will do my own healing uh, ceremony for myself and my family. And uh, I've been doing a lot of healing work around um, honoring women in my family who were forgotten or who died alone or who died in institutions. And so this whole last year, I've been doing a lot of work honoring my grandmothers who were forgotten, the, the women who were forgotten. And one of the Johnny songs um, uh, is called Your Girl. And that song is in honor of missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit. And, and the thing about Your Girl is, um, is it also relates to the young, the young Indigenous children uh, that are being found uh, all across uh, uh, Turtle Island now where they're, um, they're finding these unmarked graves of young children in residential school, you know, in, uh, right outside residential schools and stuff like that. And so I really feel like um, the song Your Girl also addresses that, like, uh, because in the chorus, we, we asked, like, what, what if it was your girl? What if it was your mom? What if it was your girl? Would we still have to sing this song? You know, and so that's the thing. It's, it's like uh, these things that are happening right now, which are just heart-wrenching um, and just so, so uh, causing so much uh, grief and, and, and um, is uh, helping people see us as human beings because um, so many people in the world in the past have did not see Indigenous people as human beings and, and uh, I think that's why they thought it was okay to do what they did. Um, and I'm not, I'm not making any excuses for anyone. I'm just saying like, finally, they're seeing us as human beings and they're starting to empathize with us. And so they're coming on board with us. And so that's why it's so important for, for podcasts like Indigenous Music and other you know, ways that we can get the word out and, and um, get people creating that understanding and offering kindness, you know, we need that. So, so thank you both again for doing, for doing this. Thank you for yeah, doing thank you. Exactly. And so I want to go back to what you mentioned on like being given the rights and being given the teachings to do certain things within indigenous culture, because that's running rampant right now too. exploitation and appropriation in terms of like indigenous practices, especially our cultural spiritual practices are just running amok. And, and then I don't know, well, I do know that most of our listeners, especially if you're non-native, don't know oftentimes that indigenous cultures, languages, um, societal structures, everything was banned. The consequence for practicing was death. 
and or imprisonment. And so um, everything was banned, illegal, a lot of practices went underground. Like Veronica mentioned, the drum had to be given to the men because in Western society, that's something that's a men's instrument. So it's, it's, I think our societies and our communities reacted by saying, well, it's acceptable with them. So maybe we should just move that over. And I think for all of our nations, we had a different sense of gender as well. Like in all of our nations, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, and Cree, we, we were, we had Ninawakis in Blackfoot, which are the women who stand out amongst the, the other women. We were women who stepped into a role that was considered like manly, but it wasn't against the rules and it wasn't looked down on. It was just, if that's what you want to be, then that's, that's what you do. And I always say that like gender oppression and all of the forms of oppression that we have that we're experiencing right now in our society are brand new to this continent. And for longer than not, we've had more liberation and more freedoms on this continent than we have had in the last 500 years. And so we're finally getting to the point where we're comfortable talking about those oppressive tactics and what had to be done. Because yes, like, especially um, in terms of female empowerment, most nations lifted up their women in a way that American society can only drool about like uh, North American, they, they want feminism, they want anti oppression, and and that liberation. But as an indigenous woman, I know, like, I feel in my blood that there was a, a time that was better than what they're asking for. I, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Uh, you know, I think uh, um, women were seen as life givers, which is uh, the ultimate, you know, um, that life comes through, comes through the womb, and that needs to be protected and uh, and cherished. It's the same way we we felt the same way about the female animals, right? Yeah, I love what you said about culture and how you kind of take this approach to doing like personal ceremony. I guess like part of your journey is to, to obviously get to this other level of it. But as people, as someone who is coming back to my culture, because I stayed away from it as well for like most of my adult life, because I drank crazy. I, I partied like a rock star. I partied hard and I was proud of it. And I'm coming to terms now with my addictions and, and, liberating myself from them. And now I'm coming back to culture. So it's really cool to see someone like you, who's kind of like in the rock and roll space, but also maintaining like a strong spiritual connection to culture. So it's really good to see that. And I see myself eventually one day too, like maybe I'll be a, a knowledge keeper or like an elder status eventually one day, which if you would have asked me that like 10 years ago, there was like no way I would have ever thought like I just wrote myself off as being like this toxic addict who just wanted to party. And now I'm like, no, actually, I'm coming back to the culture and I'm starting to remember and it's like super strong. So I just want to say thank you for sharing your cultural practices and how you can kind of like go outside of the traditional box, um, especially when you're coming back to it. You don't have to go so strictly as traditions have gone because I've been reading a lot about Anishinaabe creation stories and stuff like that. And there's a couple of things that I was kind of like, well, I don't know if I totally 100% agree with that. There was a, a part that I read that only men were allowed to go vision questing because the purpose of a woman was just to bear children. So as someone who's in this, you know, day and age, I kind of feel like maybe I could vision quest too at this time in, 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 in history. So I'm, I'm, you know, exploring those ideas with culture. Yes. And yes, you can. I've gone to vision quest twice, 
the um yeah a lot of those old ways melissa um you know they're not uh you'll find elders or conductors or knowledge keepers who will have flexibility. And so those are the people that you want to find if, if you want to uh, um, do these things that are not um, typically uh, encouraged in a certain gender like that, but like uh, even stuff like, um, you know, um, Sundance, you know, there were gender things around Sundance too. And I, and I believe those are changing as well. And we're even seeing that on the big drum now. We're even seeing women getting together on the big drum, which is really um, interesting and really like healing to see it. I don't know if you've heard of Pura Fey. Yes, I saw her grandma drum circle. I was like, whoa, I would like to try that one day. You know, I, I again, wrote that off as something that I would just never be a part of. Me too. Me too. And I see that and I'm just like, whoa, I love that. And what you like, how did you react when you saw the grandmas around, around the drum? Didn't like, I was just like, power yeah it was crazy to see my heart exploded i was just me too <laughs> me too like everything about me was just like wow and that's what we need and so uh flexibility is huge and as well as we're learning and and remembering uh forgiveness is really um is really important too i i got to live with my granny when i was in high school and uh she was a practicing medicine woman at that time and uh, she smudged every morning and every night and she would braid her hair before before bed. And uh, she passed on a lot of teachings to me, um, which was a real uh, surprise to my mom and my aunties um, because their mom wasn't like that when they were growing up with her. Right. But she was when I was growing up. And one thing my granny said is everyone has their own way, my girl. Before I, I lived with my granny, she uh, I, I wasn't allowed to make a decision for myself just the way I was raised. And so, uh, like in grade 10, when I moved in with my granny, I would always ask her permission for everything, just to do anything. And she would always say, it's up to you, my girl. This teaching, uh, I share it a lot. And, and so it's up to you, Melissa, about, you know, uh, how comfortable you're going to feel going into ceremony. It's up to you, uh, you know, if you're going to take that step, you know, it's, it's totally up to you. And if you feel okay with it, then that's all that matters. It's it's just between you and creator, you know, you and your spirit uh, journey, right? Um, and so nobody can tell you that. Nobody can tell you what's right for you. Nobody can tell you what's going on in your mind or in your body or in your heart. Nobody knows except for you. And so really, it's all up to you. It's up to you to find an elder to work with, a knowledge keeper who will share with you Right. And I would love to be that knowledge keeper uh, around the drum. If you if you uh, if you want to uh, ease into some ceremony, we can do a virtual drum circle um, and we can just make it small. It could just be the three of us, you know, and, and we can just do it sometime when, you know, if you want. And, and I just want to quickly touch on fear teachings, which um, have kept a lot of people away from learning culture. And these fear teachings, I understand where they come from. There's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's reason why we didn't want people um, drinking in ceremony. There's reason why we didn't want people on other kinds of substances in ceremony. But, you know, we're, we're so far away from where we started that I think there's a lot of elders that'll be okay if a person were to enter ceremony that wasn't four days clean or seven days clean, you know? And you just need to find these elders who are willing to work with you where you are 
and uh, and you know, and then you make your own choices as you go forward. You know, I know I know medicine people who have beer on a Friday. I know medicine people who smoke a little weed for their pain. You know, there's a a, a real uh, you know we're, what we're going through right now. We need every one of us needs tools to survive and to thrive through the vast, fast changes that we're going through right now on this planet. We need the help wherever we can get it. And, and it's, it's when we do these things too much and they become addictions that, you know, you can be, you can become, people can become addicted to ceremony too. Remember that too. And, and going too far that way too is again, up to you, how far you go. For me, I, I love walking in both worlds. I love going and, you know, doing my ceremony and, and I do all kinds of ceremony that I don't post publicly. People, family members call me and ask me to do ceremony for them. And I go to the water and I do my thing. It's just uh, that balance. I think, again, it's my two spiritedness that really, I feel really comfortable on stage, you know, swearing like a trucker, screaming my screaming and playing guitar on 11. And I feel just as comfortable with in grandmother energy you know, in a circle with other uh, people um, who want to connect with spirit and connect with the elements and, and the earth and, you know, um, try to resonate some good out into the world, right? And uh, one thing that a lot of people don't realize is, is hand drumming is like meditating. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't know how to meditate, but I know how to hand drum. That is meditating that, you know, is so connected to each of us. I know how to bead. That's meditating. I know how to sew. That's meditating. You know, meditating is another word. There's so many different kinds of meditating that just that whole emptying of the eye and the mind and breathing, that's only one way. And, and there's all of these uh, cool ways that um, Indigenous people have that are in, within our traditions that is actually meditating, if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. And so just quickly, what are your thoughts on non-Native New Age groups doing drum circles when the, the beat is off and they usually just sing what they perceive is Indian music? Hey, uh, hey, uh, hey. Uh. Appropriation is something that's been happening since time began. The reason why appropriation isn't, a, isn't appropriate now is because Indigenous, uh, because like you were saying, our culture was uh, not only demonized, but it was uh, criminalized. And as we are remembering and relearning our cultures, uh, because there's so many different Indigenous cultures on Turtle Island, uh, which is what we call North America, that we're trying to we're trying to remember things uh, in a clear way, and so when people start pan-indigenizing culture, it loses so much of its meaning. I'm a, I'm aware and, and I know of of uh, circles like this that what you what you speak of, and the thing is is that they don't know the damage they're doing. They um, they think that they're doing good and it feels good for them, but they don't understand the damage it does to us. And that's what people need to see. Um, and I am a hand drummer that I share with all people of all nations. People do not have to be Indigenous to enter my drum circle. But I am Indigenous. Both of my parents uh, lost their language. They both, they were both, uh, my dad spoke Chippewan and was raised in the bush. And my mother spoke Cree and was raised on the res. And they both 
lost their language in school. And I come from an area in Canada where I may be white passing in the city and I realize that I hold white privilege even as a residential school survivor myself and an intergenerational survivor myself um, because of my light skin and I look more like my French grandmothers than my Cree and Dene grandmothers. People need to uh, understand, non-Indigenous people need to understand that these seemingly innocent things can be very traumatic to residential school survivors, 60 scoop survivors. I recently was sitting um, on a panel where I had to look at a lot of art and one of the pieces of art triggered me a little bit. And, you know, the guy on the panel, arts panel, he was like, oh, it's okay. You, you know, you didn't have to be a part of this, this one because if you're triggered. And I said, I said, if I gave into every trigger, I wouldn't be able to, uh, uh, you know, handle going out into the world. So it's just like, uh, but for him, he was a non-Indigenous man. And he was just like, oh, it was, you know, he was so concerned. It was just like, yeah, welcome to Thursday for me. <laughs> Right. There's, there's more than one trigger. <laughs> but going back to those fear teachings and, and talking about residential schools and how our cultures and spirituality were banned, languages were banned, um, illegal. And now we're reviving them and pulling them out from underground and trying to keep them as traditional as possible, those protocols and responsibilities and all of that good stuff. But I'm, I'm blessed to have um, spiritual moms who are part of my, my spiritual society at home on the blood reserve that are quote unquote outspoken women, right? That's just us as Blackfoot women. But whenever the men in, in our circle, our spiritual circle say something that's like toxic masculinity or oppressive, like our bundle mothers just come back at them and kind of dig and say, that's some residential school thinking. Like, and we have to remember that we have more than one generation that is coming out from under a residential school system. And that, that policy of kill the Indian and save the man. Um, and a lot of that thinking is hard to unlearn. So when they learn toxic masculinity in residential school, it's hard to unlearn, if, especially if it's never brought up by some awesome outspoken bundle mother like, like my own. So. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I love strong women so much. You know, that's, that's what uh, I try to do most of the time when I'm on the stage with the Johnnies is I'm really trying to emulate a powerful, a powerful Indigenous woman and uh, really try to come up, come uh, across. Uh, I really try to emulate that because I want to see more of it. I want to see more women in leather, you know, with guitars, you know, screaming and singing about, you know, water and, you know, rock and everything. What about you, Melissa? I love it. Yeah, I'm. Uh, it's inspiring to keep my voice going because sometimes I get, you know, those scripts, they overrun my mind and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too much. But then I'm like, no, like my blood didn't come all this way to sit down and, and be a, a quiet, small woman, you know? So I'm, I'm also finding my voice in like the heavy metal underground world that is predominantly male white guys who don't give a shit about anything that I have to call out. Like I've called out a couple of people throughout the years of my stoner witch career. And it's, it's kind of had an effect, you know, I'm kind of now labeled as this like outspoken Brown girl. But I kind of love it because I'm hoping that, you know, other women are seeing this and, and, and in conversations that aren't public, like in a 
you know, messages or whatever, I'm having women coming up to me and saying, oh, I'm really glad that you said that, even though I can't even like acknowledge it publicly, they have to acknowledge it to me in private. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I am, you know, on the right path and I'm just going to keep empowering myself. So thank you for, for like, you know, leading the way with that. It's really amazing. And it's really um, changing the scripts that I keep telling myself and having a hard time unlearning is those toxic scripts of like, I have to only be this way or else I'm going to, you know, shut this door of opportunity. If I say this, you know, like I have a lot of that, that I I struggle with still in this like heavy metal underground world, but um, it's good to just say F it, just do it. And uh, those who are, yeah, those who are with you will stay with you for real. Absolutely. F it. Love it. Yeah, I was saying how like um, the women who who come to me in private because I do uh, interviews too, and I try to I try to get as much women who are doing, you know, who are running record labels, who are managing bands and stuff like that, and they and they low key they tell me like, yeah, thanks for saying that about so and so or this situation because we all thought it, but none of us were brave enough to say it, even though they're all you know white, and here I am the only freaking brown person who's a woman had the guts to say it. And I knew that I was blacklisting myself in a little bit, but I was just like, I don't care when I'm done all this. I don't want to be seen as like the girl who didn't say anything because she was worried about, you know, maybe so-and-so not, I don't know, collaborating on some event or some special occasion in the future. Like I just don't care anymore. (laughs) It's really, it's a, it's a really liberating feeling. Yes. So liberating. I love, I love that you said that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, me too. I'm getting okay with uh, so-called feeling like, um, like I just speak now and I don't care if people like it or not. I don't, I don't really care. And if I make people uncomfortable, well, welcome to my world. You know, like, I'm, I'm, like if, if, if people are uncomfortable, that's where we create change. And I go, okay, get comfortable in this uncomfortableness because now we're going to really go deep. Okay. Now we're really going to, start of feeling what it's like to be uh, within the indigenous psyche and, and, and understand what we go through on a daily basis, you know, and, and I'm even saying that as, as someone, I, I recognize I was treated differently than my brown brothers and sisters, like two of us are light skinned and two of us are dark skinned, right? And the, in the, in the four, uh, I'm, uh, I'm one of four children, same mom and dad, we have a, lot, a bigger family, but same mom and dad, there's four of us. And I acknowledge, and my mom and I even spoke about that, how differently we were, we were treated um, in different spaces, right? But it's that uncomfortableness. That's where the change happens is, is, is when, we, when we go into those uncomfortable spaces. And now I don't even care. I'm just like, yeah, you're uncomfortable. Well, now, now let's really talk and let's really get go, go deep. Um, and uh, I applaud you. And, and I... I, uh, I am as well, even though I seem really outspoken and powerful and all this stuff on stage, I'm still like a really shy kind of, as a child, I was very shy, very, uh, very quiet. And, uh, and, and still I find myself, I might be one of those people calling you up going, Oh, I'm so glad you said that, (laughs) you know, cause I didn't, I wanted to, you know, but, but more and more, I'm not, um, I'm not holding back just like Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. yeah, it's tough because it's like a psychological struggle to really be like, should I put it out there? Is it going to be too much? It's like, I don't care anymore. 
But um, yeah. I'm just hoping that maybe there is a younger lady out there who's who's watching my show or watching my my social media and being like, you don't have to be a super easy to digest indigenous person or just woman in general. You can really go out and do whatever you want and own it. And there will be people who will see your authenticity and like roll with you, you know. So that's what I'm slowly learning as I emancipate myself from my former commercial radio mindset that I had. Like I had a really big you know six-year journey since I left Canada to come to where I am now to really come out as someone who's you know I don't enjoy uh, working in commercial radio I I like the cannabis lifestyle like that was a really hard step for me to take in our community as well it's kind of like oh I got branded right away as someone who was just a big pothead and you know, maybe I was being dismissive. I don't know, but I had all these scripts and I'm slowly starting to shed these scripts and just kind of embrace my culture as well as my personal way of just existing in this time. It's been a really interesting journey. So to see someone doing what you do, it's it's really inspiring. I feel the same way about you, girlfriend, especially when you came out as, uh, as a cannabis, uh, in cannabis culture, because, you know, um, it's all it's all in our perception right like like again this is a plant this is a healing grandmother plant that was kind of demonized that was kind of like included with all of these other like really toxic harsh drugs and really uh we call her grandmother ganja right like i mean this is uh like it it, it all depends on how you look at it and so many elders right now that i know that were so anti uh marijuana are now like they need it they need they need the thc cbd pills they need they need the bud there they need the oils all of it you know and so so the perception is really changes as, especially here in canada now that um pot has been legalized marijuana has been legalized and now that it's also available for prescription and stuff like that too so i mean i mean uh, that is really changing and uh in my home community many people weren't smudging because they were smoking weed. And, and I told them, I, my, my smudge bowl is right next to my ashtray and I am comfortable with that. And that's what they, I said, your work is to be comfortable with that. Are those both uh, medicines to you or are they not? It's your choice. It's up to you, my girl. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, grandma. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so thank your grandma for, for teaching you that. But, but what I want to wrap this up with is your mentioning of getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and how that's where transformation and growth happens. And we just got out of a cultural humility training where we told our participants that exact same thing that we can't transform the society or the communities or the workplaces that we operate in until we're comfortable with being uncomfortable because no change happens without a little bit of uncomfortableness. So, Veronica, please. Yeah, where can we find yes, you? Yes, yes. Please tell us where to find you. What's the newest thing out? And um, this is the newest thing out. This is called Leathers and Feathers. And see, this is my bodice on this side. This is me. And this is Dave. Uh, uh, this is his leather coat and um, his, uh, his vest that he sewed all together. And uh, the the red and the orange in the middle, that's their third fire. So this is Anishinaabe teaching around love. So between the two of us, the Johnnies is literally our third fire. The, our love for each other is manifest in our band. That's love so it. 
I love it. Thank you. Thank you.